Many thanks to Max Penske. Now we'll hear from Paul Engstrom on the Inter-American Human Rights System. Well, um, thank you, Kath. Um, it's always a challenge following a philosopher, so I'll try my best. Um, I should also start by saying I'm a political scientist, not a lawyer. I'll be discussing international law. First of all, though, um, I'd like to thank the organizers really for putting uh, putting uh, this together. Um, it's a real challenge, as we all know. Um, but most importantly, I would like to thank all the resilient participants here. It is a real privilege to be here uh, amongst participants in the Brazilian amnesty process, um, as well as um, very knowledgeable people. So, okay, I got the PowerPoint as well. I will try to speak as much uh, to the extent possible to what you can read on the, on the screen, just to make life easier for everyone, including myself. So, Starting off then by main points I'd like to cover here uh, today. Um, first of all, I think it is important to recognize the inter-American human rights system um, has in many ways come, to age, come into age through its engagement with transitional justice and particularly with the challenge of how to respond to domestic amnesties uh, following authoritarian or military regimes in uh, Latin America. I should also say that the, in the initial stages of the response of the inter-American human rights system to the amnesties as they were adopted had a relatively limited influence in the initial stages, but as you'll see, the influence has increased over time. Am I speaking clearly or... yeah? Ah. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, secondly, I would like to thank you. Secondly, I would like to um, spend a little bit time. As I said, I'm not a lawyer, but I'd like to spend a little time um, discussing the main principles of the Inter-American Human Rights System's uh, position on amnesties and uh, how it is, has developed over time. And then finally, um, although there have been significant jurisprudential uh, developments, um, also we need to think to what extent these jurisprudential developments matter. Um, to what extent um, can we see the inter-American human rights system actually having an impact on um, domestic amnesty provisions? Okay. So, um, First of all, I won't go through the, the very long development, institutional development of the inter-American human rights system, but I, I think putting the development in its historical context is important into, in terms of understanding both the opportunities that it provides as well as the limitations. Um, the the inter-American human rights system we have in place today consists of, of two parts, the inter-American Commission of Human Rights and the inter-American Court of Human Rights. I think it's important to see uh, these two entities, of course, as a system, but also as two separate entities. Okay. Um, um, it has the Inter-American Court, of course, which in uh, discussions of amnesties has taken a very, has taken a key role, a central role in discussion of amnesties, um, has a relatively short time period in terms of how it has developed its jurisprudence. And I think the uh, relatively short period of existence is important again in understanding the evolution. Um, always when I talk about the system from a um, political perspective, I uh, highlight um, five key features in terms of its development that I think are important. 
Uh, one is that there have been an, a very significant increase in the number of cases uh, that the system uh, is dealing with, and that, of course, reflects uh, the popularity, if you will, of the system, but also reflects the very significant activism on many uh, many organizations, both on the domestic level, but regionally, crucially, and we have um, representatives of one of the key actors here. Um, secondly, um, tied to that, is increasing pluralism, that is, the increasing number of actors um, engaging with the system from human rights organizations, but also individual litigants, okay, um, human rights professionals, but also um, um, common uh, law firms, okay. Um, thirdly, there's been an increasing uh, focus on, on individual cases as opposed to thematic reports, uh, okay, by the system. So it's become increasingly focused focus on how to respond to individual or group complaints, but nevertheless dealing with individual cases. Um, fourthly, very significant jurisprudential uh, expansion, uh, both in terms of, well, jurisprudential in terms of case law, but also quite significantly an increasing expansion of, of uh, norms, okay, um, covering a whole range of, of human rights concerns, not just those uh, connected to the past, if you will, but also increasing in socioeconomic rights, indigenous rights, and so on. Um, and fifthly, this has led to an increasing judicialization, if you will, of enforcement. Okay, it's an increasingly judicial approach to human rights activism. In the initial stages of the American system, uh, it, it took a very political approach to enforcement in terms of naming and shaming, uh, and in, in terms of um, politically raising awareness. Now it's increasingly judicialized in the way it deals with cases, and I think these features are important. Um, finally, I won't belabor this, this, this point here. Um, I think it is important to recognize that for many of the new democratic regimes in the region in the initial period of transitional justice, um, um, the question of how to deal with the past became, of course, a defining feature of um, democratization. But it varies from one country to another. And speaking about Brazil today, uh, we need, I think, raise the question to what extent uh, Brazilian democratization is connected to how it deals with the past. It varies across countries. And I think that's what one of the points that Leslie brought up uh, yesterday. Um, now, there were, of course, very significant differences across the region, but one commonality, and that's picking up on Max's point just, that I made just now, um, amnesties um, were a, a very, very significant commonality, if you will, in terms of approaches. A very significant number of amnesties, different forms of amnesties, but still a significant number of amnesties that were um, adopted. So the evolution of the inter-American system became bound up with questions of how to deal with human rights abuses under previous regimes. And you can see that in, in, the, type of, in, in the jurisprudence and the type of instruments that the inter-American system uh, adopted in terms of how to deal with forced disappearances, status of judicial guarantees, in state of emergency, um, the provision of domestic remedies for uh, human rights victims, so on and so forth. And as I said, the, the impact of the, of, the, of the system in the initial stages um, was quite limited. So let me now move on to speak about the um, uh, position of the inter-American human rights system on amnesties. 
Uh, and I think um, for the system, uh, there are some kind of key questions uh, that it has sought to um, uh, uh, approach the question of uh, amnesty. Um, first is whether governments have, and again what Max raised, whether governments have the sovereign right to guarantee impunity on the grounds of national reconciliation uh, and or stability. Okay. Uh, secondly is whether states have an international obligation to provide remedies, effective remedies, to victims. And also whether um, the interests and demands of victims can be overridden by uh, the, the recourse to arguments of a greater social good. Okay? And also the question whether amnesty laws are uh, compatible with the state's international human rights obligations as established by the system. Now, I think it's important to point out from the start here that, as Max said, the Inter-America system has not explicitly, okay, explicitly prohibited the uh, use of amnesties. But I think that it goes beyond uh, beyond that, and I will get get to that now in a few moments. The Inter-American uh, Inter Commission, in terms of its early response to the amnesty laws adopted in the Southern Cone countries, um, has developed an, an increasingly robust position on the admissibility of amnesty laws. So the first general response by the Inter-American Commission came with the country report uh, or annual report in 1985-1986. This was followed up by uh, a response to individual petitions regarding the amnesty laws or specific individual cases covered by the amnesty laws uh, with regards to El Salvador, Uruguay and Argentina in the beginning of 1990s. Here in these reports, the the key uh, uh, the key focus of the Inter-American system was uh, uh, responding to the amnesty laws by by saying that these amnesty laws, in effect, violated the right of victims to effective investigation and prosecution. And this was followed up in the special country reports adopted in in, uh, in the case of Argentina and Uruguay in 1992. And these, and particularly in the case of Argentina, these country reports played an incredibly important part in keeping the the, the issue alive in uh, domestic politics in, in in Argentina. So human rights organisations used this this report in keeping pressure up uh, throughout the 1990s, which, for those of you familiar with the Argentine situation, was kind of lull in the uh, question of, of prosecution, okay? Um, now, in terms of the key principles that the uh, Inter-American Commission, or Commission particularly at this point, adopted, um, they said that the Inter-American Human Rights System provides a uh, international grounds for an official state investigation and dissemination of truth. So an emphasis on truth, the importance of truth. Um, and also, it it has developed a very significant focus on victims. Okay, so victims have a right to uh, due process and humane treatment. And also that these rights cannot be compromised by majoritarian politics. Okay, so in the case of Uruguay, uh, these principles cannot be overridden by, uh, say, a majoritarian response such as a referendum. Okay. Um, now, in terms of Recent, more recent responses, the Inter-American Court has, has um, followed up on, on, on these initial 
uh, initial principles and developed a more uh, judicial approach to the question of amnesties uh, through its development of jurisprudence. And of course, the case of Barrios Altos stands as a landmark in how the court has responded to amnesty. In the case of Barrios Altos, again, was was discussed yesterday, um, uh, the Inter-American Court ruled that the Peruvian self-amnesty laws violated the right of access to justice. Okay. Um, the court here took the opportunity in responding to the case, and perhaps Sahil played a very important part in pushing the courts, uh, providing with, with the argument here, that uh, it took this specific case to develop the position of the inter-American system on amnesty, barring, barring self-amnesties, okay, self-amnesties uh, for, and I quote, serious human rights violations such as torture, extrajudicial summary, and arbitrary, arbitrary execution and forced disappearance disappearances, all of them prohibited because they violate the non-derogable rights recognized by international human rights law. So this is kind of a standard position that has developed in, 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 in uh, international jurisprudence. So for the court, Peru's self-amnesty law, uh, laws were incompatible with the aims and spirit, as I put it, of the American uh, Inter-American or the American Convention, okay, and as such they lack legal effect. Okay. Now, in the Barrios Altos case, the court also ruled that its judgment is not only binding between the parties in the particular case, in the particular case presented to them, but it must be applied in any other case which uh, such laws might be applicable. Okay. Um, so the the uh, the ruling has what lawyers say generic effects. Okay, consequences beyond the specific case. However, and I think this is also interesting, the court noted that the Peruvian amnesties were indeed self-amnesty laws, so coming up or picking up what Max said, this is a specific form of amnesty. Um, so it was granted by the Fujimori regime to itself. So the Barrios Altos case remains somewhat ambiguous uh, on whether amnesty laws adopted, by democratic, dem adopted democratically okay, by a successor government um, on the grounds of, say, national reconciliation and with the appropriate provisions made for reparations and truth-telling could be compatible with uh, international obligations. So the question here is, 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 is ambiguous whether ruling may apply to uh, other forms of amnesties. So, uh, am I... So the question here is, so the question here is whether it applies to democratically adopted laws. Now, this is, an, I think, an important discussion to be had as to the kind of process that leads up to the adoption of amnesty laws. And uh, Roberto Gagarella, an Argentine jurist, has has written about this, drawing on on the um, uh, on the theory of, of, of uh, Carlos Nino arguing that amnesty laws can be or could be held to be legitimate if it if it is perceived if they're preceded by a democratic process that is sufficiently deliberative and sufficiently inclusive okay um, now that is a theoretical argument that of course needs to be tested empirically in the sense of to what extent can we actually talk about a sufficiently deliberative and inclusive Okay, what are the thresholds, if you will, of sufficiently deliberative, sufficiently inclusive? Of course, in many cases in uh, across the region, that the, the the criticism, of course, is that 
democracies are not sufficiently deliberative in many other aspects of, of state policy. Okay. Um, now, in terms of the then the evolution of the inter-American system, it has adopted an increasingly robust position on <coughs> impunity. Um, so it says that the, the, the scope of amnesty laws, um, and, I, and I put the, put the quote here up in the Barrios Altos case, that all amnesty provisions, provisions on prescription and establishment of measures designed to eliminate responsibility are inadmissible, okay, because they are intended to prevent the investigation and punishment of those responsible for serious human rights violations, okay. And let me just pick out on, on, on how the court understands impunity. And there are two dimensions to uh, impunity for the court. That on the one hand, for societies, impunity fosters the chronic repetition of human rights violations. And I think this was an issue that was raised yesterday in terms of the connection between past impunity and present impunity. And on the other, for victims and their family members, impunity um, leads to a form of defenselessness. Okay. So there's a very strong, and again, picking up what Max said, um, there's a very strong, if you will, equation between amnesty and impunity for the inter-American human rights system. Um, now, the Barrios Santos case did not address the question um, whether uh, amnesty laws must be repealed, okay, rather than simply not applied in other cases. In, in a 2006 uh, case Almonacid in, in the case of uh, um, Chile, um, which involved the self-amnesty law decreed by the Pinochet regime in 1978, the court picked up this uh, question, and it, it the issue here about Chile's amnesty laws that had languished before the Inter-American uh, Commission for almost a decade. Okay, um, so the Inter-American Commission had condemned the uh, law for being a violation of American Convention. Now, before the court, Chilean authorities acknowledged uh, that the law was incompatible with the convention, okay? But they argued, well, the, the domestic judiciary is not applying in any way, so we're fine, okay? For the court, that was not sufficient. The law must be repealed, okay? Now, this leads on to questions of impact, and I'm running out of time, so I will not go into this in very great detail. Um, dodging the question, um, but here raises, of course, the question that is that is relevant for the Brazilian case as uh, as well in terms of the domestic impact of these jurisprudential um, uh, developments. Um, could I just then um, just briefly highlight that um, beyond jurisprudence, of course. The inter-American uh, system provides important opportunities for civil society mobilization and for uh, domestic uh, human rights uh, litigation. Now, there is, of course, no automatic compliance with the inter-American uh, commission and court's rulings. Um, so I think it is important here to note the type of activities that, that um, both regional and domestic NGOs play in bringing home, if you will, the rulings of the inter-American uh, system. So let me just go towards the end, and uh, I missed the, the very nice graph, but I'm happy to speak to this later. Uh, and of course, we have uh, the Argentine case. Um, so let me just bring to the, to the, to the end here um, by, by just saying that 
the consolidation of the inter-American system, both in terms of jurisprudence and in terms of the institutions, uh, have provided important opportunities for uh, litigation, both before the system, but I think crucially in domestic situations as well. Um, so the, um, the jurisprudence before, in, in terms of domestic, domestic litigation, I think I, is, is important. But I, thought, I think there is a non-judicial function of the inter-American system that is in leveraging the, the, the type of cases before the system in negotiation with the states domestically. And I think many organizations have developed these, these, this strategy quite significantly. Now, that's of course, there are, of course, in the last 30 seconds, there are, of course, very significant limitations here because both in terms of the time that uh, litigation before the system requires and the costs, okay? And this, these, these type of resources are often far beyond the means of, of uh, human rights activists uh, domestically. Um, but I think, on to end here, on a, a kind of positive note, is that with a strategic vision, kind of recognizing both the potential of the inter-American system, as well as the, the very significant limitations, I think these obstacles to, in terms of both cost and time, can be uh, overcome. Okay, I'm happy to pick up any of uh, questions later. Thank you.